Hey folks, back here after a little break. I'm here with uh, Fire Chief Jody Hetrick. How you doing? Good. How are you today? Pretty good. I ran into you uh, at the at a budget meeting there last week, and I'm meaning to talk to you about doing a podcast. So I'm glad you're here. Absolutely, I appreciate the invite. When I walked in, I asked you, "It's so cold." I said, "Is cold good or bad for fires?" And I assumed good. It's good, right? It's good for wildland fire. It's bad for structure fires. So we kind of have to take our uh, split. It's good for wildland fire because it kills off spruce bark beetle. Which has been a big problem last year, right? Huge problem, and um, we expect will continue to be a problem. But for structure fires, we end up with more fires, plus it's really cold to, you know, difficult to fight fire in the cold. But we get more structure fires because people sometimes don't make the best choices when thawing out their house or trying to heat their house. Ah, makes sense. Yep. So it's kind of a good here, bad there situation. It is, yep. Um, so before we go into more fire stuff, I want to talk a little bit about you. You've been the fire chief since 2018, um, and I was reading about you a bit. So you've, you've been involved in fire EMS for a long time, right? For many years. Yeah, this is year 33, and I started out at Central Mat Sioux in January of 1987 as an on-call responder and had never considered it a career and took an EMT class because my grandmother kind of encouraged me to. And um, the fire chief kind of challenged some of us in the EMT class that we should join the fire department. And I did in the very first night that I was on the department, our first training night, we ended up at a structure fire and decided that that was what I was going to do with my life and um, did that for a while. It wasn't a paid position. So you make a little bit of money while you are on a call or at training and but that doesn't pay the bills so i uh, ended up getting a career position in valdez and was down there for about two years um were you raised in the valley or are you from the valley nope originally from eastern oregon so mm-hmm. moved up after high school i graduated in the middle of reaganomics which devastated the economy in oregon and, trickle, um, d- trickle down? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a little bit of trickle down there. And um, between the environmental efforts to shut down logging and what the economy was, there were no jobs. So I moved up here. By yourself? Yep. Oh, me too. I was 04. I moved up here when I was 19. Oh, wow. How old, yeah. You were 18 or 19? Or? Yeah, I was about 19. Why? Yep. You just said I'm going to Alaska? Uh, I had an aunt up here and she had been fairly successful. So uh, this looked like a better economic option than in Oregon at the time. So you joined, you joined, you got into fire EMS, so you're pretty young. Yes. Yep. So you went to Valdez, so Valdez was your first kind of real job, right? Paid job or? Yep. Yep. Valdez was, and we were, I was down there as a um, EMT and an engineer. So the engineer on the fire department is the person who drives the apparatus and pumps it and stuff. So, and they do fire and EMS. So, so you're yeah. driving that big fire truck. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. So I got to ask, so, so there's not a lot of female firefighters now, but I assume back then there was probably even maybe fewer, right? Uh, it seems like it's been about the same. It depends on the region. So in uh, the funny thing is with Central Matsu and the Wasilla area, we actually had a fairly high percentage of women on the department compared to most. And in Alaska, we have a higher percentage than most other places. And I think it's um, our... The issue is we have a, such a small population. You need people to do the work. You don't care who those people are. Mm-hmm. So it's people who are willing to step up and do the work. Um, here in Anchorage and with some of the other career departments in the state, we have a lower percentage, um, even compared to nationwide, because we just don't get women to apply. So that's it, one of the reasons. One of the things I want to talk about today is we should get more women to apply for the department. 
Yeah, so I was going to ask, what are the, re- I mean, it's a kind of a male dominated, you know, people think of firefighters, they kind of first off maybe think of men. Is it hard being a, I mean, is it probably easier now than maybe 30 years ago? Is it challenging or is it um, just like everybody goes to work and it's no big deal? Uh, it's been a mix. I have had um, my first department. It wasn't even a thing. Nobody cared as long as you could do the work. It wasn't a deal. Uh, my second department, which was Valdez, uh, I was the first career department. And um, it, it, the firefighters and everybody I worked with were fine. But some of the members of the community had an issue with it. And some of the firefighters' spouses had an issue with it. Oh, yeah. So I, I actually that. ended up on, you know, you have three shifts and you work at 24 hours. So you sleep at the station. And um, I actually had spouses of the other people on the department who called the chief and said that I couldn't work on the shift with their husband. So wow, that's how really? I ended up on the on the shift I ended up with, which was great because they were a good crew anyway. So, yeah, I, I, it's been more of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's, it's rare that any of the firefighters actually push back and say that it's a problem. And I think we've uh, I think we've come a long way. I think more uh, I don't think it's ever really been the other firefighters as much as it's been um, people just have a perception that it would be a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. Yeah. But I have been lucky. I know some women have had you know, issues. And uh, I'm not saying that uh, the guys are perfect, because I've definitely, I get the typical and this still happens. Um, They want to listen to what I say, but they want to confirm it with a guy. Right, yeah. And I that actually, I don't see that too much now, but I get that from the public. People will call and want to talk to the fire chief. Or when I was the deputy chief of operations, you know, they'd want to talk to a technical person and I'd answer the phone and say, yeah, can I help you? Well, I'd like to speak to the chief. I'm like, yes, this is the chief. How can I help you? Have they ever said, like, I want to speak to a man? Uh, I've had that happen when when I worked for the state. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, to be be in that um, industry, you know, in the firefighting kind of world, you have to be probably pretty pretty tough, thin-skinned if you're if you're a a woman, right? Well, uh, everyone. That's right, thick-skinned. Yeah, everyone has to be th- pretty thick-skinned because that's one of the ways that we deal with the stress of the job mm-hmm. is we're pretty hard on each other. And so I don't even think it's a gender thing. I think it's uh, you just have to be pretty resilient and willing to, one, defend yourself if people give you a hard time. And just like, you know, just like you are with your family, you got to be able to give it right yeah, back. My, my buddy Chris Kuick, you probably know him, he's a firefighter. Uh-huh. So he took yep. me on the, the fire ops deal about oh, three or four years ago. Excellent. I did that on a Saturday. Excellent. and. And I'll be honest, I, w- I wasn't hungover, but I had a few drinks the night before, which I really regret because I woke up and I go, oh, man, I got to do this. That was like 7 a.m. So I go over to the deal and I'll tell you what, that was I always knew firefighters were you know tough and it was hard. But I, I, I'm not I fly small planes and gliders and I'm not scared about spaces. But when I put on the whole get up and I went into the kind of the fight, you know, you put on the whole outfit, the, yep. this, this the air uh, breathing and- apparatus and a. Yep. And you go into the room with the fire, the kind of the the, the fake, but the fire that comes out of the the floor and yeah, on the our burn props. Yeah. Yeah. So I was in there, and I'll be told. I've told people this. I was like freaking out. I was having a claustrophobic parent, like parent. I was like, "Fuck, I mean, this is really scary." Yeah. But there was a line of us, and we were holding the the fire. It was heavy, and I was like breathing hard, and I just kept thinking, "What if the the breathing tank fails?" You know. And I was so, but I I was like. I'll be honest, I was like so close to, and Forrest Dunbar was in my group that year and a bunch of media people and a, I mean, John Weddleton was a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. And I was so close to being like, I'm, I can't do this. But I, I looked, I was like looking around and I was like, no, well, I'm going to pass out before I like voluntarily, because like, I don't want to be the guy who like couldn't do it. Right. Yeah. It was, it was, and once I was in there, it was okay. But it was really, and then, and then the climbing up the ladder to, mm-hmm. to get the, so we go in the room, they climb in, you go in the room, climb the ladder. And then you try to find the body, and it's smoke. It's like smoky. And I, yep. 
I was so tired and exhausted, and I, I was trying to open the door, but later he, they told me I was actually, the door was already open. I was trying to close, I was actually closing the door. And I grabbed the, the 135, which even, isn't even that heavy, and I was grabbing it by the neck and dragging it, and they were like, you just like broke, yeah, killed this person. Choke, choke the guy out. I mean, it, it, it was, it was, I couldn't believe how, how hard, how hard, it was, it was a fun day, though. It was a, I learned a lot. Uh, it is really hard physically work, but it's more, probably more hard mentally because you, you have to overcome if you have any claustrophobia, if you don't like dark spaces, mm-hmm. if you don't like loud noises, um, and just the pressure from, and it's the exact same thing, is you've got all those people and you don't want to let anybody down. So I, it, I, it I just is. didn't, I just didn't want to be, really ma- I didn't want to be made fun of for being like, I couldn't <laughs> oh, hack it. That was my totally thing. they totally would have. Chris would have slayed uh, Oh, they, oh yeah. You. Yes. Because yes. they, you know, they were all firefighters. They were, so everybody was, yeah. you know, some people kind of, one guy didn't want to go up the ladder, the big ladder. And they were kind of like, come on, like you're here, you got to do it. And yep. eventually they kind of, a few people didn't want to do certain things, but it was a, I think the pub, everybody in the public should, you know, especially when they talk about, oh, these people, you know, public servants are over, you know, overpaid sometimes. It's like, that's, that's a really hard job. I completely agree. Um, it and it, but it takes a certain personality for people who. It's great for people to see what we do, but then there's some of us that that just feels so natural and feels so good to do it. I I will tell you, and I've been. It's been a long time since I've been on a working line and actually got to fight fire, and I miss it like you wouldn't believe because there is absolutely nothing like um, getting off the rig, grabbing the nozzle, being packed up, and going inside and putting a fire out. Or saving somebody too. Or saving somebody, and it is. Um, there is some instant gratification, but it is, you just feel super accomplished mm-hmm. and, uh, it is totally being a firefighter on the way to a, you know, working fire. And then we go there and put the fire out. There is really nothing better that I can think of than doing that work. I was a little bit sad. I couldn't do the, uh, really close to the car deal because I had a beard oh. and they said I wouldn't they'd get the seal or whatever. Yep. So yeah, I didn't get to do that one, but I, I did, we did do the jaws of life, which were, um, I always thought it was like, you know, cutting butter. It's actually pretty hard to get that, st- uh, that metal cut. It is really hard. I thought it would just kind of psh, boom. Oh no. They're built so that they don't break apart. The, the movies make it look like it, yeah. you know, <laughs> it comes apart. Yep. Um, so you, so you were doing Valdez, but then you were a couple um, years, you said? Yeah, we were down in Valdez for a couple of years. Um, it just wasn't the right fit for our family. Uh, it is hard to be at the end of the road in a town that's really small. Mm-hmm. So my husband and I, um, we ended up deciding we, you know, that wasn't going to be the right fit for us. So then I went to work at Red Dog and I worked up there for about four years. Oh, so you were on like a rotation or? Yep. I was working a four and two up there and it's one of those catch all jobs where you work in safety and you're the medic because you have to be available as the medic, but on the emergency response team. But I also, you know, managed the sewer treatment plant and the water plant and did billeting and, you know, was the clerk and ordered parts. So it's just one of those, they needed a medic so that you have to do all the other my, stuff too. My, my friend worked there for a couple, three or four years in IT. He was on two on, one off, but he said the same thing. He was the IT guy, but, you know, oftentimes it's like doing other, all kinds of other things. Yep. Typical remote job to where they can't hire enough of the one, you know, somebody that that's all you focus on. So Mm -hmm. everybody ends up doing multiple jobs. And that was great. I really enjoyed that. What'd you do after that? Uh, Then I went to work for the state. Well, actually, I took a couple years off, had a couple of kids, finished my degree. And um, then I went to work for the state and I was the statewide um, fire prevention education officer or coordinator for the whole state, uh, the state fire marshal's office. And then I promoted up to the state fire training director. So I did that for almost 10 years. So what is, I guess, here's a question. What does the state do? I mean, the city fire Anchorage has fire, you know, Fairbanks has fire. Mm-hmm. The state, what are they doing? Like, like more like wildland fires? Are they doing 
state like state facility like i guess what's the role of the state when it comes to fire so the state actually has two functions one they take care of under the division of forestry they take care of all the wildland fire so yeah they do that piece um under the state fire marshal's office they are the state building official and um, within that office so they take care of code enforcement and fire investigation inspection but also in that office is the state fire training group so there's a group within the state who's responsible for making sure that all of the smaller departments are able to train their firefighters and they also have a certification program so basically they come in when anchorage fire department when we do our academies and test our firefighters the state will come in and test them to a national standard so that we know that um, in order to be a firefighter in Anchorage and get paid to do that work, you have to have your state firefighter certification. And the state um, come in and they manage that whole program, provide oversight for all of the certification and testing. State EMS also has a function where they do that exact same thing to make sure that everybody who's providing EMS is actually doing it properly. What about the airports? Those are state-run or those are... They're state-run too. Um, They are... the, the, they're, the big they're police, yeah, they're police and fire. So, like Ted Stevens Anchorage International Airport, they'll they do both police and fire, and um, they don't have a their response capabilities are strictly to the airport. We have a mutual aid agreement with them that if you know during the earthquake or some other big mm-hmm. fire, that they would be available as well to help us out. So then you at some point, I think 2012, you came to the city, right? Yep, 2012. Um, and I, actually, I did my research. Actually, Chief Hall, uh, they had a um, their assistant chief of safety and training position was open and had been open for a bit. And my husband worked for AFD and had worked for AFD for since uh, um, 1995. And He's a firefighter? Yeah. Yep. He was on the department. So we had decided had, we weren't both. Did you guys meet firefighting or did you? Yeah, we did out it in uh, out in central Matsu. Oh, out wow. in Masu Valley. So we'd been together for quite a while. And then he got on with Anchorage and we decided that we weren't boy- both going to work for the same department. But when the opportunity came open for Anchorage, um, it was hard to pass. One, they paid way better than the state. But two, uh, when you work at the state, you have to convince fire chiefs and other people to, you know, follow the rules. Well, when you work for a regular department, you can actually, um, you know, decide what programs you're going to do and train people and really make more of a difference at the local level. So I'd kind of missed that when I worked for the state. So it was a good opportunity to come over and I ran their training center and their safety office. So you, did you, when you became chief 2018, how the, did you apply for that? Or, Cause you were, you, you were, you were acting chief for a while, weren't you? Yeah. How it worked is um, in 2012, I came on for safety as the assistant chief of safety and training. And then in 2015, when the deputy chief of operations position became vacant due to a retirement, uh, Chief LeBlanc asked me to be the deputy chief of operations. So I did that from 2015. And then when Chief LeBlanc left in May of 2018, um, I put my name in the hat to be the chief. But yeah, I was acting. Uh, chief LeBlanc left and for about a month or so, I was acting while the uh, the mayor and the municipal manager decided who was going to be the chief. So doing all these like deputy chief and all these clar- uh, administrative and bureau- like bureaucratic jobs, you're doing, like you said, less, you're not doing much firefighting, right? Yeah, it is. If uh, if I have to put an air pack on, it means it's we've Something's going th- down. things have gone to hell. Uh, to be blunt, um, no, I don't get to do any of the fun stuff anymore. Same thing, I have to maintain my certification. I was going to ask you about that. Do you have to maintain a level of kind of readiness or yep? Um, I have to keep my EMT certification. So if they need me, or if I'm you know driving down the road and I see something, then I'm still qualified to respond. Um, so I still have to do that, but most of my job. Um, 
is definitely in the office. Now, if we get a big call, definitely report to scene, and basically the instant commander tells me where they need them, and like the Royal Suites fire, I ended up um, on that fire. Um, and then my my position now is if we have a large municipal-wide event, then I would participate. Like the earthquake. Like the earthquake. So if I see you fighting a fire, that's that's bad. Like that's bad. That would mm, yeah, going, that would going be bad. On. <laughs> I would probably be totally enjoying myself, uh, even though I'm not in the shape that it takes to do all that work. Uh, it is still really fun work, but yeah, we've gone down. So how was maybe talk about, about the earthquake? Because I did a podcast with Bill Falsey, <laughs> actually um, about six weeks ago. We did it on the one year anniversary of the November 30th quake. Very good. Uh, we talked all about his kind of what happened where he was dropping his kid off and it was kind of crazy and and they were I had said that I thought the you know the the, the response from Anchorage was so good I mean, we got, there was good communication I feel like the public had a lot of information there was those press conferences um, so maybe talk a little bit about where you were when it happened were you working you know, and then kind of arriving to the command center and all all of the stuff that happened that day okay um one I have to say I'm I'm s- that was the point where I knew I was super proud of the fact that uh, I worked for the current administration because um, you can have ba- major emergencies and, you know, the mayor can hide, uh, people don't show up, um, everybody, nobody kind of wants to pitch in. Mm-hmm. That definitely was not the case here. So we were all at work when it happened. Um, everybody was in our office. Uh, building started to shake. Well, we're on the corner of 4th and A. Well, we all know what happened in 1964 yep. on A Street. So I can look um, out my window north, and I it kept going and kept going. So I was just basically waiting. Uh, we're in a building on the second floor, but we're basically a building on stilts. So I just kept expecting that if it didn't stop... The street was going to give way. Our building was just going to fall that direction. I was going to end up down the AC couplet. And I thought my house, I mean, I was home and I would get on a bed. I had a yeah. condo, a townhouse deal and two store. Uh-huh. I, I thought it was coming down. I really did. I thought I was. it was so bad. Yeah, I am amazed at how tough our building was because we shook pretty hard and we didn't have any major structural major structural damage. That was huge. So you were so you were at work. So you were a little bit of a leg up. Yep. It was it was interesting at the timing of eight thirty. If it would have been like one thirty in the morning or four in the oh, morning, yeah. you know, it probably actually. I had a friend, um, Dennis Kniebel. He's he's a labor guy. He posted a picture later um, of his bed, and behind his bed is a big kind of like a like. Headboard with a like a mirror, right? And it, it had fallen, oh. and he was. I mean, it probably would have, if not really, if not killed him, would have really hurt him because it was yeah. a lot of glass. Yeah. So I, the fact that it was so early, but kind of late enough where people were out of you know out and about. Oh, um, I I will fully admit that there are a ton of reasons why I think that we got really lucky that day. It happened at eight thirty. So for Anchorage Fire and Anchorage Police, that's shift change time. So we already had double shifts of people. Yeah, available. That's, what, that's what Bill told me. Yeah, um, the fact that it wasn't fourteen below, and it, but it yeah, was imagine still if it was today. Yeah, if it was today, um, if it would have happened in the summertime when we had a bunch of tourists here. How oh, would, yeah, how would yeah. we have dealt with that? It's another one. Uh, mm-hmm. Or four o'clock in the morning. And um, we ended up, there are lots of reasons where the timing of that was the best it out. If we were going to have an earthquake, boy, that was kind no, of nobody time was, to do it. Nobody was even hurt, were they? I mean, maybe we a- had some minor injuries. We had, um, you know, some bookshelves fall on some people. We had, you know, those kind of a couple of traumatic injuries, but nothing major. I think it was some, myself included that night with the you know, aftershocks. I, I eventually got so. Um, distraught because I kept feeling tremors that weren't real. So I put a glass of water on my table and I'd watch it and then mm. I'd know if it was a real one or not because it would, the water would move. It was very unnerving. Uh, four months 
We there yeah. were, there are a lot of people. I think we probably lost some people in Anchorage or in South Central Alaska who just didn't want to put up with that anymore because just all the aftershocks. You just never knew which one was going to be really bad. So the the uh, response center, the command center, that that had been set up. I mean, you you had trained for that. I mean, everything seemed to go pretty smooth as far as the you know, reaction with with the mayor and the you and the fire and the police and everybody. Well, um, one we I think in the we do prepare for things like this. We probably hadn't been as prepared as we wanted to be because we'd been very focused um, on wildland fire. We expected that was the big thing that we were going to have like the hillside, to deal with. The hillside yeah, fire. the hillside's going to catch on fire, and this is what we do. So for years, we'd been really more focused on that kind of incident command and setup, which is totally different than a municipal-wide earthquake. So um, we could have been better prepared. However people walked in the door of our instant command center and just went to work. And it was phenomenal that uh, we, everyone communicated. And I will hands down say that um, Bill Falsey is one of my favorite people on the planet. And the reason for that is he's the municipal manager. And when he came in and we were building our incident management team, he hadn't had, because uh, he was still fairly new, he hadn't had any incident command training. He hadn't, we hadn't trained at the emergency operations center very much. And I asked him to be, fill in, do the work for the planning section chief. And he was like, yep, what do you need me to do? So we brought somebody in to, you know, give him a primer on this is what that work is. And he went to town and was spectacular. And I think maybe um, other people who are in that position would have not stepped up or been as optimistic and positive mm-hmm. about the fact that they could just do that work. The one thing he told me, which kind of made a lot of sense, was um, going forward, They one thing they wish they had, um, and I think they probably got it now, is a direct call-in number to all the radio stations because... You call in the regular, think about it, like, yeah. call talk radio, okay, you probably get in, but it was so crazy, because, you know, Dave Steering was on with Kurt Heider, and all these different stations were giving these, like, updates all day, but they tried to call, and it was busy, it was always busy. Yeah. So they, they wanted to get, like, the, the red, you know, the red phone number, or whatever, which, which I th- when he told me that, I said, wow, that's crazy, you know, that trying to get through, how do you get through, if it's important? Yeah, it, there were lots of little things like that, because, and we hadn't practiced this, we haven't, it's been a long time since we've done any full-scale actual drills that that test our capabilities in the community and typically you do those drills so that you can find out you know and problems like that and we had not been doing those didn't they have uh, years ago the, the the zombie apocalypse drill remember that yeah it was kind of and we had been doing some statewide exercises we do you know every other year we do statewide stuff but um we as the municipality had really not put you know put us through our paces to see where our issues were and i think we had some ideas but people just, man, well, stepped up. I feel like as, you know, member of the public and then kind of member of the media a little bit, um, I feel like it was it was such good communication. There was, I don't know, series of these press conferences. Um, my favorite meme actually was the picture of, because Ethan was doing the No Shave November. So, so there's this picture of him standing there looking just kind of, just dazed and confused, you know, just the yeah. way he was standing with his beard. And then somebody had gotten a picture of him, like his like official, you know, where he's like smiling, like clean shaven. And it was like me this morning versus me right now. He's, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. That yep. was like, the, that, that was the best meme of the whole, because he just was like, like sitting there looking like, oh my God, you know, after, after 10 hours or 12 hours of being, being there all day. Yeah. Our first day after the earthquake hit and we, you know, it t- always takes you a while to 
build your team and put everything in place. And all the restaurants were closed. So, you know, we everybody reports to the command center, but we couldn't get coffee. We couldn't get, you know, we couldn't get food because everybody was shut. So actually one of my staff went around to all the grocery stores and tried to find somebody open and said, well, I need food. We need food for the emergency operations center. And we had a couple of, uh, you know, she had to go all the way to the Fred Meyer on Diamond before she could get somebody to answer the door and be, you know, and actually have a few people in there that could help her That's good. get so they, stuff they, and, they, and check out. They got, they got it? Yeah. So we went, I was with my, 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 room, my, my roommate, my, my friend that I live with, and I, um, you know, we were obviously weren't going to work. And we were kind of like, what's, you know, our power went out. So we started driving around kind of what's going on. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. with the cars and everything power was out so we said wait maybe we should get some supplies right so we go to you know fred meyer closed cars closed so we go to the, the mini mart the old seward and dowling and oh, they were yeah. open and then there was a liquor store as, as well connected there so um we go in there to get some you know everybody was being actually pretty cool i was like do you you know mm-hmm. i'm not going to take everything you need some water you know it wasn't like nobody was hoarding or looting but i go across the way to the liquor store to get um just you know a few beers regular preparedness stuff and this guy's walking out with like he looked like he was about to go to work but he like wasn't going to work and he had two like 20 or you know, 30 packs and like a body so he's like i am ready you know <laughs> it was like that was his thing oh, that's uh that's kind of funny pretty it was it was pretty it was, i i thought you know it could have been worse and i think the mm-hmm. the response um and the timing and all these kind of different factors you know made it a good moment it was that talk about training i mean that was probably the best kind of um, scenario for for a, it was real life, but you know, you probably a lot of good training out of that. It was. We learned a bunch of really good lessons. It's probably the best part of it is, and I'll brag a little bit about uh, the um, our team at the fire department and also PD because all the people out in the field knew exactly what to do, and we and the fact that we had twice as many of them because we were in mid, you know, we were in mm-hmm. the middle of shift change. We had a couple of little things here and there, however. They just immediately went to work and did what they needed to do. And we didn't have any, um, you know, major issues that we had to take care of. So they were able to, you know, drive the community and both PD and fire their doubt driving, looking for major emergencies and didn't see anything. And there was, doing we call windshield surveys. Just look for damage. There was one. Uh, we did a little video story. There was one. Uh, my buddy Kale found a guy that the pipe had broke and it was an older man. His house basically yeah. you know, lit up and he got out. But his house basically burned down yeah we ended uh, over up in arctic i think we ended up with three three fires that are related to the earthquake that yeah we're not going to put it out we just don't have resources all the resources are checking the community to see what the major problems mm-hmm. are and especially with the road collapses we were really concerned about I, that i still couldn't believe that one guy who got out, got out of the car and <gasps> was like can i get a, i gotta go to the airport yeah left the car there yeah so I, I didn't even believe it at first well and you think the planes are going to fly I, that, Just, that, was, a, that was surprising. Yes. Yeah, that was, it was crazy, too, how fast they rebuilt that road. I mean, that road was rebuilt like a week or two, wasn't it? Uh, DOT rocks. Yeah. yeah the, uh, I don't know, contractors, the whole thing, they did a spectacular job. So we briefly um, kind of mentioned the, the prospect of the, of the hillside fire. And I know this is before I moved here, but my friend, um, they used to have a place over on Big Lake, and there was the Big Lake fire. Miller's Reach. Yep. Which was, the, you know, did a lot of damage. 1996. Yep. They, they lost, it's funny, they're, they're, I think it was the house... The house burned down, but the the garage. It's so weird. Fire is so weird. The house burned down. Fire is weird. But the yep. garage, kind of, which was attached, was close by. Like didn't get touched. Yeah. I mean, it's so weird. It's so close. 
one burns down and one one's just kind of wind fine. Could, wind could have shifted um, different materials. It was made out of different materials and it just didn't spread. You see a lot of that. That's one of the reasons why we really push the FireWise program and defensible space. Because if you are, you know, around your house, if you keep um, defensible space around your house, the chances of you losing your house to a wildland fire that comes through, even if it's moving fast, it gets reduced. I know my buddy this last summer with these fires uh, in Kenai, my, my buddy Vince Beltrami was down there oh, and yeah. he, he had a cab, it was a cabin, I think. And, you know, I told him, you want me to come down and help? And they were basically trying to clear, um, I think he had some defensive air, but it was just, you know, very concerned about just losing, losing everything. Yeah, that's definitely something to be concerned about. It's the same thing when they did uh, the Sockeye Fire in 2016 up north. It um, The fires move so fast, especially if they're wind-driven, which, you know, the valley, the wind's always mm-hmm. blowing out there. Same thing up on the hillside, same thing down on the Kenai. Um, if you're anywhere in the wildland urban interface, if you don't have defensible space, I personally think it's irresponsible that you are setting yourself up to to, to, in your, to lose your property. How much space? If like- there is... What's the recommend? 100 feet or a couple hundred feet? Or? Oh, no, it's not even quite that bad. It uh, 30 to 60 feet, and it, but it depends on the trees that are around you and stuff. So basically, one of, the, one of the rules of thumb is if the trees that are surround you, if one of them falls over and can hit your house, hmm. then that's too close. So, so I mean, is the prospect of, you know, people talk about the hillside fire, is that a real thing? I mean, what, you know, what could it, what could it, like, what's the worst case scenario there? Um, not only the hillside fire, but East Anchorage. So the MLK fire, the fire right on the oh. corner of uh, Martin Luther King and Dowling, that whole corridor right there, that was really scary because, one, it's right in the middle of high-density housing, but we also have muni businesses. We, have, You know, that's real close to where PD's headquarters used to be. We have the bus barn. Um, we have schools right in that general area. And um, then right down the road is um, our hospitals and treatment facilities and stuff. So uh, not only the hill, hillside is really scary because um, a lot of people built in wildland urban interface and we don't have as much defensible space but the other issue there is we have a lot of dead end roads that people can't get out so if they get cut off they have no way to get out of their property in an evacuation what about fire trucks getting in our fire trucks can't get in so so what i mean is there something is there more we could do or is it some of that kind of private property issue or like you know what's the best way to mitigate um a big huge fire hillside or east anchorage fire uh, the biggest thing is we prevent it from not happening. So it would be great if when we when we have burn bans in place or when we get dry conditions, if people just don't, um, if people make better choices with how they use fire. Um, we don't allow burn barrels here in uh, Anchorage anymore. We don't allow really any exterior burning or outside burning. We try to limit it to help reduce that. But on those dry days, you know, you always get somebody who wants to go burn their grass off or campfires back in, you know, they're out hiking on a trail and either wanted to warm up or just wanted a campfire. So we still have that happening. So that's the key thing is if we can get people to just not have fire when the conditions are dangerous, that would that would be helpful. But the best way people can protect themselves is to look at the firewise stuff and build events, defensible space and and make good choices about the um, your landscaping, so that they're you know things that will are drought tolerant and um, don't get dry. Right up next to your house, you have a dead bush that mm-hmm. is more likely to spread the fire. And then the other thing is we are working. Um, you'll see on the uh, um, with the bond measures, the assembly has now added an area wide option for us to bond for fire and life safety roads. 
because that's one of our biggest concerns on the hillside is we have lots of dead end roads that people can't get out of. So we are looking this year, we're hoping that, that the public will um, give us some bond money so that we can ex- um, fix some of those issues so that the people on the hillside are safer and actually can get out and we can get in and put the fire out. Did this last summer concern you with these record high temperatures? Yes, it was very concerning. Um, one, we didn't really know what to expect. We we thought maybe it was going to be dry, but you know, you've been in Alaska long enough to know that every winter's different and every summer's different. You never really know what well, to, what you're going we, to get. We we that weekend, my friend and I, we hiked Kasugi Ridge, and oh. we actually did two three days, two nights, and um, it was so fuck freaking hot. It was like ninety plus degrees up there, um, and it was just we actually bailed about two thirds. We got down to or we started at a little cold creek we got down to ermine we were supposed to go to buyers Lake. it was just so it was so hot it was so miserable um that we bailed so we did about you know 20 some miles instead of 30 30 but i've been here 15 years and i grew up in new mexico and that was hot i mean and and actually the whole time i was kind of freaking out because you look down you ever done little you ever done um kasuki ridge uh yep You, you look down and you see all those trees, and they're yeah. all spruce bark beetle infested. Yep. And I kept thinking because there was a little, there was a fire near Talkeetna. What was that fire? Um, there was a fire, kind of yeah. was far away. But remember that Talkeetna area fire? Yeah, just south of there. And, yeah. and I forget the name of the place, but I kept thinking if this thing lights up, the only way we're getting out of here is probably a helicopter. Yep. Because I mean, if they can find you, if they can find us, you know, because because it was all. Down there, just yeah. trees and the smoke would have, it was actually kind of scaring me a little bit. Matt Sue got hit really hard with spruce bark beetle this time, um, this last year. Yeah, there's just acres and acres and acres of dead spruce bark can they, beetle. Can they go in there and just kill them or cut them down or what, what's the answer Well, that's there? what they're going to have to do. Or um, uh, they'll go in and they, they can't harvest some of it. But yeah, they'll have to go in and clean it all out and wait so for regrowth. Basically just kills the tree, makes it very, very dry and susceptible yep. to, to burn. Yep. That's pretty much what it does. Yeah, that, that Matsu stuff. I mean, I, it was it was wild. How many houses and structures? It's like. Well, we were really <clears> worried here. We uh, again, sometimes we just get lucky. The day that we had the MLK fire, they happened to have the two water tankers out at um, uh, in Palmer, so they came and actually that's I, how we put that fire out. I, I, um, if it would have been three three days later when Talkeetna started to catch on fire, we wouldn't have had those resources. So I was at that Save Our State kind of rally deal at the LIO. Oh. And that's when I saw it. I said, "What the hell is going on over yeah. there?" You know, and I knew it was something big because it was it was a lot of smoke. And then kind of got to be known pretty quick. It was a, it was a fire. And I go over there, and I was par- I parked at the school. Like, or no, it was some baseball, uh, softball fields, baseball fields. Yep. Right. And I was just yeah, sitting there. I was, did them. a Facebook live. I couldn't believe it. it was like those those. I'm not sure if they were Hueys or those choppers were so low. You could see the people, you know, because they were going out to the, le- the the pond or the lake way out there, picking up the buckets. And yep. then there was that circling king air or whatever it was, kind of maybe the commander. Command- yeah, they call it bird dog. Yep. yep. And and then I seen that big thing, whatever the hell it was, come in and just like, it was so much, I don't know if it was slurry or water, but it was a lot. It's a, I mean, it was it's a fire in, it was, retardant. It's water and a, it is a slurry. It's fire retardant and water mixed together. It's just like, I mean, it was a lot. That, that, um... That effort right there saved Anchorage, but if the if that fire would have waited another three days, when the fires up towards Talkeetna were going, we wouldn't have had that resource. So what would have happened? Uh, what, there, what what could happen? Um, it probably would have burned that entire green belt and probably moved back into the Chugach. 
because that's where the the way the winds were pushing. So all those houses would have got... All those houses in the way, schools in the way, muni facilities in the way, the bus are in that whole area. That's that would have gone. terrifying. Yeah, it is. Only because that, that big tanker was here. Um, yeah, because those two tankers, and those are Canadian... Those are Canadian aircraft that come over to help right. Alaska during the wildfire season, and they happen to be in Palmer. Have time. you ever seen that Russian one? Yeah. That big, I think it's the biggest um, fire tanker. Yeah, it's it's huge. I have never seen it in person, but boy, we watched a lot of video going, wow, that'd be cool. So, um, I'm sorry. Uh, what, um, so you're the fire chief now. You have until, I guess, that mayor's term is done July 2021, right? So. Yeah, that's pretty much how it works, um, which is good because I'm, you know, as I mentioned, this is year 33. So I'll stay till uh, as, as long as the mayor will have me through the end of his term. But I'll move on to retirement. And um, that's how the fire chief works in Anchorage. It's a political appointment. So they'll find another qualified individual that they uh, can lead the department. Maybe they'll keep you. I uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am ready to move on. My husband's already retired and I have a long list of uh, just like guys have honeydew lists, uh, women get them too. Mm-hmm. So I have a long list of things to get done and stuff that we want to do. So have you you've been a couple of years? Have you enjoyed being the chief? I mean, have you, has it been di- like different than the previous jobs or has it been similar? Um, it's definitely different than when you're the operations chief. Um, you still have the a little bit of top cover because the chief is there to kind of set the direction for the organization. And working for Dennis LeBlanc was wonderful. He was a phenomenal mentor and a great executive. It really set the tone of how the fire chief should you know mm-hmm. be as far as professional and take care of your people. So it is a different job. I spend much more time at City Hall, obviously, and working with assembly members and being the face of the department and doing public presentations and stuff. I get to do more of that, which I'm okay with. Uh, uh, so far in my entire career, being the deputy chief of operations has been my favorite. I love what I do now, but I think that'll probably be the the thing I'm the most proud of. And um, but I am really I'm really enjoying it. Just this public support we get is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So I guess the big difference probably is uh, the, I mean the buck now the buck stops with you, right? Now the buck stops with me, and not only am I responsible for the 393 uh, other people that work for the fire department, now I'm responsible for the 300,000 citizens that live in Anchorage and the 100 or so visitors every that come into our town, or 100,000 or so visitors that come to see our town. So, uh, that, you know, it's a pretty big responsibility. However, um, I have a really good team, and we have really good people that, who help take care of everybody. That's a good point. I never thought about that, but if it was a summer... Time earthquake, you know, if there was all these yeah. people here, that's a whole, adds a whole different element to it. So yeah, I couldn't have even imagined if we would have had a ship docked and had all those, you know, most of them seniors retirees mm-hmm. downtown when we had that earthquake, because that one they wouldn't have known what to yeah, do. If it's gonna and, be, if it's gonna be that big of a quake, that was probably the literally perfect time for it. Yeah. So, yeah. well, Chief Hattrick, I really appreciate you coming in and, and doing the podcast. Great conversation. Gotta, Absolutely, I'm I, happy to talk to you. I learned a lot. We should do another one. I want to talk maybe. Um, a little more about kind of fire prevention and like smoke detect. There's a lot more I want to talk to you about. Yeah, but... we should talk about smoke alarms and we should talk about a couple other things. Okay, yeah, no, we'll, yeah. we'll definitely do, do another one, Chief. Okay, perfect. Okay, thanks again for coming in. Appreciate it. Yep, thanks for having me. Okay, folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast with me, uh, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.